This week, we want to keep talking about the present and the future of spaceflight. It really is an incredible time to be alive. And to do that, we're joined by Barry Matsumori, the COO of Impulse Space Inc., and someone who has been an executive leader at both SpaceX and Virgin Orbit. Let us know your thoughts. You can do this via our social media pages at Space and Things One on Twitter and at Space and Things Podcast on Instagram and Facebook, or via the contact form on our website. And please consider joining us over at Patreon. That's patreon.com forward slash space and things. But right now, enjoy episode 140 of the Space and Things Podcast. Listening to the Space and Things podcast with Dave Giles and Emily Carney. I'm Emily Carney. And I'm Dave Giles. And welcome to episode 140 of our podcast. How are you doing, Emily? I'm doing great. Doing great. I just got back from the Magic Kingdom. I'll talk about that later in the episode. I'm having trouble walking because I went on several space roller coasters <laughs> that day, certain ones. So I'm a little sore, but other than that, I'm doing fantastic. Excellent. I keep seeing things online that you're going to be doing some special appearances over the next couple of weeks and months. Is that right? You are correct. And I am so excited. Uh, I haven't really done anything in a few months, I've kind of been lying low. But in uh, this month, in fact, in a couple of weeks, I'm going to be doing some events. Um, on May 18th, I'm doing coffee at the Cosmosphere, and I will actually be at the Cosmosphere on May 18th. Amazing. Yep, and I will be uh, with David Hitt, and we are going to have two special guests who are joining us on Zoom. Uh, it's Milt Windler, obviously the uh, the famous flight director, and also Jack Lausma, who is the famous Skylab 3 and Space Shuttle astronaut. And we are going to celebrate the 50th anniversary of the greatest space station in the history of the universe, Skylab. So, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I'm very excited. Um, like I said, it, it is, it's a free event. It's online, so you can register for to watch it, register for it. Or if you are close to the Cosmosphere or want to actually make a trip there, I believe it's free. So come on and see us. I'm really looking forward to it. It's going to be very exciting. Also later in the month, and I believe it's May 28th to the, through the 31st, it's at the end of the month over Memorial Day weekend, I'll be at the ISDC, which is the International Space Development Conference uh, that the NSS, the National Space Society, runs uh, annually. I think they only missed one year, and it was during COVID. Yeah, so I will be there. It's uh, near Dallas, Texas, I think Frisco, Texas. So I will be there. I'm going to probably be on a couple of panels. And um, yeah, if you see me there, come over. Feel free to say hi. I'm really excited. This will be my first ISDC event. I've never done one. So I'm really pumped up about doing this because it's my first one. And I've always wanted to do one. So that is what I'm doing this month. And I know in October, this is way later in the year, but in October... I'm going to be at the uh, Jasper Dark Sky Festival. I believe that's what it's called in Jasper, Alberta, Canada. Man, I want to go to that. The photos of it are just it, just amazing. I've never been there. Uh, it's very different from where I'm from, which is Florida. Uh, no palm trees up there, but still, it's really gorgeous. I'm really excited. Uh, so, yeah, so that's what I have on my schedule. And 
I'm sure other things are going to come up this year as well. Uh, I've had a few people reach out to me, so I'm really, I'm really excited. I'm kind of going out and doing things again, and uh, that makes me feel really happy. So that's what's on my schedule. It's really wonderful to see how many Skylab events are coming up. I'm yes. pleasantly surprised. I really me am too. pleasantly surprised. This week, I, I think by the time this comes out, it might be too late for people to to get down there. But Kennedy Space Center have got the the Hall of Fame. Uh, Astronaut Hall of Fame induction ceremony in Gala. I don't know. Are you heading over for this? I am not. I, I was thinking about it, but we're doing um, on Space Hipsters. We're doing our May the Fourth, of course, event. So I, I'm doing that in instead. But um, I, I have heard about it, and it looks really awesome, though. For the people who are going to go, you're probably going to have an amazing time. Yeah. So there is a, a Skylab event for that. Yeah, there's a Smeet and 50th anniversary of Skylab panel featuring Rusty Swicart, Joe Kerwin, yep. both of whom have been on the podcast, Jack yep. Lausma, uh, Bob Crippen, and it's uh, being moderated by Bob Siek. Um, so that's, that's amazing that, that that's happening uh, at Kennedy Space Center. Uh, there's also something happening. Even Houston Space Center have actually got yeah. an event for Skylab. They yeah. they failed completely with Apollo 17, but they're managing to do something for Skylab. There's something happening at the Museum of Flight. In Seattle. In Seattle, which is great. So it says that on the event, this is happening on Saturday the 13th of May, uh, Skylab astronauts Ed Gibson and Jack Lausma, along with the Skylab flight director Neil Hutchinson, will join the space wow. curator Jeff Nunn, the museum space curator Jeff Nunn, to commemorate the space station, which is amazing. And it says it's free with museum admission, which is amazing. There's also going to be a, another event at Kennedy Space Center on, on May the 15th. I'll put links to them within, within the show notes, what I found. So you've got so much going on over the next few weeks. Cosmosphere, we've got the thing that you guys are doing. Uh, Museum of Flight, Kennedy Space Center, Houston Space Center, the Astronaut Scholarship Foundation. It's just really great to see that Skylab's getting this yeah. time in the sun that it rightfully deserves. And hopefully it carries on over the course of the year of these 50th anniversary of these flights. I know we're going to keep doing stuff, that's for sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm very pleased. I th- I think it's awesome. I'm glad people are paying attention to it because I was honestly worried the opposite would happen where there was nothing, you know, like, OK, we're just going to forget about it. And um, no, it's absolutely the opposite, which is just a thrill. It's going to be a cool year and a, and a cool summer. I hope so. OK, so let's have a look at our main feature today. Over the next few weeks, we will also be looking back at the past. So we wanted to have another talk about where we are today and what is coming up in the future. We're joined by Barry Matsumori, the Chief Operating Officer of Impulse Space Inc. He's an industry veteran who has been an executive leader at SpaceX, Virgin Orbit, and most recently as CEO at Bridgecom. He has developed and implemented business and technology strategies as well as overseen operations at these companies. For Impulse, he is responsible for all the operating functions, including business development, people, finance, and mission management. Impulse Space has been working on the next generation of orbital maneuvering spacecraft. While space is certainly becoming more accessible, efficiently moving payloads into higher energy orbits, remains a challenge, and Impulse are working to change all that. They have also partnered with Relativity Space with the aim of becoming the first private mission to land on Mars, with this scheduled to take place in 2026. So, let's talk with Barry Matsumori. 
more fun than Skylab Bingo at a Texas barbecue, you're listening to the Space and Things podcast. So welcome, Barry. Uh, You've worked at SpaceX and Virgin Orbit, among many other startups and companies. So what sparked your interest in the space industry? Were you always a space enthusiast or did something or someone else inspire you? Great question. In the late 80s, unbeknownst to many people, I actually worked at General Dynamics Space Systems, and we worked on things like space architecture way back when. So the big difference is, I think many of the ideas we have on how space works have been around for a while, but the technology, the capability of actually implementing it is really not until recent times that's possible. As mentioned, you worked previously for SpaceX, which has now cornered the market regarding reusability, particularly of the Falcon 9's first stage. Do you remember a time working at the company when this idea was just a dream? What were your thoughts on it at the time? It's it's actually a most excellent question because in in those days, earlier days, when Falcon 9 was being offered as a commercial service, the the notion of reusability was also mentioned to our customers publicly to others and the level of 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 believability by the the customers actually very good but large parts of the community of the space community in particular our competitors were very much uh dissing the notion that that's even technically possible you are now the chief operating officer at Impulse Space. So what would you say are the goals of Impulse and what features of Impulse's payloads maybe make them different and say more cost effective or efficient? I think the the uh, base thing to think about is that launch Earth to orbit has really evolved uh, significantly. The number of launch companies that are out there Certainly SpaceX with their regularity and reliability of launches, up and coming launchers like uh, Relativity and um, uh, existing launchers such as Ariane 6, uh, the uh, Atlas Centaur actually coming Vulcan Centaur. So there's a variety of paths to go from Earth to orbit. Mm. The thing is that as the number of, of payloads that go to space, satellites go to space has increased so dramatically to the thousands that the notion of space traffic space traffic management that that getting uh assets from a point in space to another point in space all of it is ta- is really addressing a space logistics system that needs a different architecture than that currently implemented and that's why impulse space exists so just to follow up on that are you the carrier vehicle for uh, satellites that are going up that you then uh, put them in the correct orbit or will you have a vehicle that can go up collect a vehicle that's already in space and move it or is it both it a uh, short answer is both but let me let me fill out more of this so uh, one of the paradigms i believe in is typically a model that works on earth has a chance to work in space or said another way if a logistics model doesn't work on Earth, it probably won't work in space. Right. And so the way to look at it is on Earth, we have planes, trains, ships, small trucks, big trucks. It's an intermodal transportation system. And space right now is kind of single modal, monomodal. And it should go to intermodal where 
you go to different orbits depending on the need of the vehicle, excuse me, the payload, and the vehicle should be able to accommodate uh, the mode that it needs to go. So if it needs to go to LEO, to GEO, to MEO, to Lunar, to Mars, those are different modes. So that's the kind of logistics system that needs to be developed in space. That's what we want to do. Right. Now, I'll, I'll extend it just a bit. You talked about in space versus last mile delivery. Everyone will start with last mile delivery, and that means that you go on a launch vehicle, you are with a, a payload, and then you will do the last mile delivery of that payload. But the fact is that uh, in space refueling, the use of storable propellants, all of that is going to allow in space reuse. Why is that important? For a couple of reasons. One is cost. You now eliminate the cost of launch, at least for the transfer vehicle. You may have it for fuel, but not for the transfer vehicle. And secondly, then you have, can have a very responsive uh, logistic system that can move traffic to when it needs to be new, moved. You talk about refueling. Is that something that's even happened yet um, with any space vehicle? Has, has there ever been a successful refueling in space at the moment? There are a couple of companies out there that are working towards it. Northrop Grumman has a, a vehicle uh, that has worked toward it and done some demonstrations. There's a company called Orbit Fab. They've done some early demonstrations also. And there are actually other companies out there that are heading that same direction. So, yes, there is some level of momentum. Impulse has partnered with Relativity Space to develop the first yes. commercial Mars mission. So what kind of payload is Impulse designing for Mars? And, and why go to Mars in general, which is a notoriously challenging place to land a vehicle mm -hmm. as, as a destination? I'll answer your second question first regarding why go to Mars. And that certainly occurred in the early days when Tim Ellis and Tom Mueller were talking about how to work together. And, and that relatively recognized that this company, even albeit a young company, was a very capable company with a lot of talent that could make this happen. And so, and the relationships between the companies. So uh, they wanted to do something that was challenging, that actually would make a difference. And that difference is trying to develop this commercial path to Mars that uh, is really kind of breaking so many paradigms. Mm. Right now, the, the governments that go, and the, including NASA, I don't want to speak for them, but if you look at track record or past records, they typically do a mission, but they can't necessarily plan for the next mission because of budgetary or other reasons. With a commercial company coming in and establishing a path to, to Mars in 2026, in 2028, in 2030, or that next window, maybe 31, that there becomes this kind of predictability of a delivery service changes the paradigms of everything of how governments can think about that planet, not only from a science perspective, but also potentially from a commercial perspective. What are the potential commercial uses of Mars? Good question. There is a desire for lots of commercial companies to do either advertisements or other related matters uh, for any number of venues. Uh, if the best example, of course, is uh, people have seen uh, football games, and there's a ton of advertisements, uh, everything to uh, racing, car racing, NASCAR, lots of advertisements. And that same notion will continue on to a place like Mars. Wow, that's uh, 
That's quite a mind-blowing thing to get your head around. Is that, I suppose that's really obvious, but you don't think about Mars being in a, a, exactly. a, pl- a place for advertisement. But the second, the second that I mention it, and you look at you look at the venue and the exclusivity of the venue, mm. one will go, of course. Yeah, absolutely. So just changing tack now, we recently saw that Virgin Orbit filed for bankruptcy. As Emily mentioned earlier, you used to work for the company, so I'm sure that was not a nice day for you. For years, the mantra around spaceflight has been, space is hard. But it really does feel that the space industry might be even harder. What do you think is the hardest hurdle for a space startup to overcome? Wow, that's that's a very we could have a long discussion on this one. <laughs> I'll try to I'll try to bring the essence out and and they're just my views. Uh, one of the things that we all know about space, space vehicles, anything to do with going in space is when you design a vehicle, uh, the first thing that one focuses on is the propulsion system. And then the rest of the vehicle gets designed around it. And then uh, there's some business aspects that are predictable and other business aspects that are are going to be realized. Uh, When I was at SpaceX, did we know the number of launches that would take place of a Falcon 9? And the answer is we had a prediction of how much we were going to change the business because uh, we proved something, and that's price elasticity in launch demand versus price actually existed. Before that, no one ever knew that that existed. Mm-hmm. In this modern market, the uh, different other markets that can be developed are still yet to be discovered. I mean, I just mentioned Mars, and yes, there's scientific reasons to go to Mars, but there may be commercial reasons. And that's something that, again, uh, not necessarily realized, but definitely possible. There are uh, companies out there that want to do production in space of materials and other capabilities, and realizing that can lead to yet another source of revenue. My point for this for this long discussion is that there are many companies out there. They are tr- not only is space hard to do, is challenging, but on top of that, when one is working with business models that may or may not be proven, you you one adds additional challenges to try to actually uh, thrive in the business. Uh, I just want to go back to this Mars thing. Obviously, you and Relativity have joined together to, to do this first private trip to Mars. Yes. Why not go to the moon first to prove that your technology works in that re- that regard? Uh, obviously, we've just seen um, the ice space struggle to, to yeah. land on Mars, um, unfortunately, mm-hmm. for the first yes. private landing on the moon. Why, why not attempt that first before going to Mars? Is it just Mars. to try and inspire and try and get attention in this in this realm? It's it's a great question. And first of all, we're big fans of, of the moon, uh, being able to do things on the moon. And we have full intention of doing that. But, uh, but uh, yeah, early on, the notion was we really want to do something that challenges both companies and really makes a big difference. And certainly will make a big difference in science uh, for all kinds of all kinds of people. So, uh, yeah, it was the challenge and we we wanted that challenge. So how much more challenging is Mars than the moon? There there are several factors to to uh, uh, quote. One of them is simple journey time, six to seven months to just get to Mars, let alone even attempt to land on Mars. That's Mm. a long time. 
and you're trying to keep communications, you're trying to do course corrections, all those things along the way. And then from that distance, one works to control the entry, descent, and landing, what's called EDL, uh, on the surface of Mars. And that event alone is, is pretty challenging. The good news is we're not trying to reinvent the wheel. The mission that we are doing is very, very close to what was done on InSight. Right. And so, you know, kudos to NASA. They've done a lot of work and and they've they've made it possible for us to not reinvent large parts of the wheel, the wheel, because they've done it. Which brings us to our next question. So are you guys working with JPL and NASA at all to get anything from, you know, their their heritage of, you know, they've landed on Mars several times? Certainly, we're working with various units inside NASA and had lots of discussions with uh, uh, not only JPL, but others. So I guess the short answer is yes. Um, uh, they have a lot of heritage that we can take advantage of. All right. And our last question. So where do you see Impulse Space in, in 10 or 20 years as, oh my. Hum as humanity moves closer to making space you know, accessible for all? So uh, I'll pull back from impulse space a second and talk about what's happening with space as a whole. Uh, one of the things that I, I look at is how are economies developed? And typically on Earth, economies develop when they have a couple of factors come to play. One is they have communication systems. The second is they have power. And the third is they have transportation. Without these three, it's hard hard for, I mean, look at, look at how... Uh, the West, how parts of the U.S. were developed. Without these three, uh, it's difficult to develop a larger commerce space. And space is actually no different. Uh, space has the sun. That's a great source of power. And there are other companies working on other sources of power. We certainly have communications. That's been around for quite some time. The one variable that's been lacking is transportation and sophisticated transportation uh, infrastructure. And, and hopefully we and others will provide that. But with that in place, the notion of commercial uh, commercial space stations, uh, commercial transportation, uh, commercial production in space, uh, other processes done in space, the notion of routinely going between uh, the Earth and, and the Moon and cislunar and commercially going to Mars and having comm systems routinely available between the two, all of that can be developed and we're certainly going to be part of that company that leads to help that broad picture of space existing for space purposes, not just for Earth. Well, this has all been very fascinating. Thank you so much for spending some time with us today to tell us about what Impulse is up to and your wider thoughts sure. about the space industry. Really appreciate it. So hopefully we'll get in contact again when you're heading to Mars. When is that like to happen? Is it 2026? 2026. Yes. So again, we're partnered with Relativity Space. And as they announce uh, Terran R, that's the vehicle we're going to use, is uh, launching in 26. Uh, the specific date is up to them. But regardless, that will be that will be the ride that we take on the way to Mars. And if you have not seen it uh, on our website or on YouTube, you can find that Relativity Space, uh, Impulse Space um, video. And that was developed off CAD drawings, so very accurate drawings 
uh, of our mission. And the phases are very, very accurate to what we what we will do. Amazing. Well, I'll also put that in the show notes so people can have a look at that straight away mm-hmm. as well uh, if they're following the podcast. But thank you, Barry, for your time. But This has been a long time coming. We've been trying to make this happen. So thank you yes. so much uh, for thank spending so some much. time with us and giving oh, us yeah. your insight. Great. Straining the titans of space history and giving voice to all cosmic explorers, this is the Space and Thanks podcast. All right. Well, that was really fascinating. I'm very fascinated that Impulse Space is landing, is choosing to land on Mars first versus the moon, because you would think they would do the opposite. They would do the opposite thing. But his reasoning really makes a lot of sense because, you know, they're not trying to reinvent the wheel uh, NASA and JPL have a long heritage of very successful Mars missions, starting with Viking in the 70s as a Mars lander. I mean, you think for the 70s, that was insane. Yeah. But I think it's really fascinating that they're choosing to do that first versus something that maybe other people would be like, well, why don't they start with the moon or something a little more simpler? You know, I think that's really amazing that they're just going for it first as a destination and I, I, their reasonings for doing that, I think, are also really fascinating, you know, as far as having advertisements and things like that. I mean, I'm sure some people might be critical of that, but I think, you know, as we move further out into the into space, you know, we're going to see stuff like that. We're going to carry our traditions from Earth into deep space. I mean, that it's just going to happen, you know, whether we like it or not, these things are going to take place. And that also includes, you know, advertising. It includes some of our rituals we have on this planet. I've written a little bit about that in some of my writings, you know. So it is something that we need to think about. But I just think that's fascinating. I love the fact that Impulse and other startups out there are really thinking about the future of space flight. You know, what we're going to be doing in the next, gosh, few decades as we move out a little further in into the solar system. I think it's going to be really cool. Absolutely. I like the fact they're working together. Uh, you know, yes. we talk about that a lot. People working together. Love that. Two different companies, Relativity Space and Impulse, working together. I think that's really cool. And Relativity Space, they seem to be the buzz company within the space industry. And Despite the fact, I haven't really done much <laughs> It's all yeah. it's all based on a lot of promises and design and people believing that what they're doing is 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 right and there's nothing wrong with that but it's certainly interesting that it's got as big and caught as much attention as it has. Yeah. You know, they had that well, one flight that that nearly that were made it to space but didn't quite make it to orbit with the first 3D printed rocket and things yeah. like that. So But that was a big deal that, that a- it even made it Absolutely. That even made it past Max Sorry, Q I don't. I, I, yeah, I don't. I don't want to dismiss the achievement. The achievement's incredible. Yeah. Oh, you're not. But there's other companies who have had more success who don't seem to have the same buzz. Uh, maybe mm-hmm. there's things going on behind the scenes which I don't aware and don't know. Maybe people are pulling some strings and helping out with some promo. Who knows? But it's great to to see a company thinking big and like you said, going to Mars instead of the Moon. I think that's a, a, a really amazing idea to to do that and to think to do that and look at iSpace you know we mentioned this briefly last week they attempted to land on the moon fortunately it didn't work this is a Japanese company but Mm -hmm. even in the run-up to that happening it got zero coverage in the press well, I don't know if you I mean yes in on space place space pages did not see much yeah 
And that's landing on the moon, which is still a big deal because not that many yeah. things have landed on the moon. And this was that's the hard. first private landing on the moon. So that should have been a story. And yet the moon almost seems boring to people just landing on it without humans. Hopefully yeah. Artemis doesn't suffer from a similar fate. I'm hoping the um, peregrine lander that... Um God, Astrobotic, that's a company. Yeah. I hope it gets some publicity as well because they're doing, I wouldn't say they're doing the same thing, but they're doing something similar. They're putting a commercial lander on the moon. Yeah. I hope that is successful. And if not, I just hope it gets some press because like you said, I think people are just very, um, God, what's the word I'm searching for? Apathetic? Yes, there you go. I, I almost used a different word, but it didn't mean the same thing. Exactly. Apathetic. There's... You know, they're like, nah, whatever, going to the moon. Like, no, that's still very difficult. I mean, if it was easy, it'd be a 100% success rate, right? Yeah. But it's not. It's not. It's still something that, you know, is being figured out. I mean... India tried abs- to land yeah. on the moon last year, didn't they? And they, they suffered yeah. a failure with that as well. So, yeah. yeah. I think England has tried... Um, I know they had a... Well, I think they had a lander called Beagle. Oh, They course. tried... Yeah. That didn't make it, you know, and that's not making fun of anybody. I don't want it to seem like, you know, I'm passing, oh, they couldn't land on the moon. It's still very difficult, you know. I mean, look at how dangerous Apollo was back in the day. And look at the Ranger program. I mean, Ranger, all it did was impact the moon. And that program had so much failure associated with it. It had very little success. I think the only the last two or three, uh, I'm, I'm not probably not remembering correctly. I think only the last two or three spacecraft actually did its job for that program Mm. and they launched a bunch of them and a few of them had to work for apollo to really happen the moon isn't like an easy target so i'm very impressed that anybody is trying out mars first i but i think you need people doing that we need people who are thinking sort of about you know long-term space missions and and large expectations large things we need that and i i'm really impressed that you know, with Barry and with Impulse Space and with Relativity for even thinking about this. Yeah, it's it's a really good point, actually, isn't it? It's people making bold steps that push yeah. everything along, don't they? Even if they're yeah. not successful first time, the very fact they're attempting it is going to push things along within the industry. Yeah, and if it does work... Even better. Well, f- hell, you know, now we have a template for future missions Absolutely. that are similar to that, and maybe even human missions at some point, which would be amazing you know maybe we'll see that who knows we could see that in our lifetime you know that would be really cool so well if impulse can do what they're they're hoping to do which is transportation to and from mars in in a easy as and cheaper way as possible that's going to be essential for any human flights that go out there either before taking infrastructure out there before we go or just resupply missions and things like that things like that are going to become really important and just like we see with the iss being resupplied by various different companies for nasa it's going to be just as important when we head to mars who matter who does it whether it's a country an organization or uh a company or a group of com- countries or a group, whoever it is, they're going to need supplies. So to have yep. people that are working on how we get things to and from Mars easily and cheaply is important. Yeah. And I honestly think, you know, when we finally, um, I'll just try to wrap up my comments with this because I could talk about this forever. But I think honestly, when humanity eventually does, you know, start getting to the point where we're successfully able to get to and from Mars or to and from a deep space destination of some sort, 
you know, I really think it's not going to be just NASA. It's not going to be just one company or one country. I think, honestly, it will bring people together in some way because we're going to have to work like that in the future. It can't just be one. We can't be, like, uh, nationalistic about it, I think, or jingoistic about it. Like, yeah, yeah rah, rah, we did this. Like, I'm very, I guess I'm very utopian, but I think it's going to have to be several companies working together. And that's why I love the idea that impulse and relativity are working together. They're not, it would be so easy for them to be like, man, they're our competition. I, you know, I I don't want to work with them. No, it's the opposite. They're partnering together to do this, which I think is awesome. And I hope we see more of that as we get closer to going to, you know, doing these things. Hopefully I wouldn't say routine, but, Doing these things more frequently, I guess, you know. Absolutely, absolutely. So as always, the full unedited video, which I'll be honest, wasn't Emily and mine's finest moment. Uh, (laughs) We we weren't (laughs) as slick as we normally are, but you may not have noticed that because I may have edited that out. I hope not, yeah. yeah. (laughs) If you want to see that, you can head over to our Patreon page, which is patreon.com forward slash space and things. Warts and all over there, that's for sure. Warts and all. Please consider becoming a Patreon supporter. So, Emily, what's caught your eye in spaceflight this last week? Okay, uh, I'm a total loser, so it's nothing current space-related whatsoever. People like, oh, God, here she goes talking about the good old days again. But um, <laughs> So I did go to the Magic Kingdom this weekend for the first time in, like, 30 years, and I, I rode Space Mountain several times. Um, Space Mountain is a 48 year old roller coaster and it's still, yes. And it still slaps as hard as it did when I wrote it when I was 15 years old. Like I, <laughs> cause I'm going on it thinking, oh, it's a sissy coaster, you know? And it is kind of, if you turn the lights on in there, it's not very impressive, but with the lights off, it seems a thousand times worse. It's just as breathtaking as it was when I used to write it back when I was a teenager, Evidenced by the fact that today and yesterday, I still can hardly walk. Like, I mean, it is just not an old people's roller coaster. But you know what? Screw it. I would do it again like a hundred times. It is my favorite ride ever at Disney World. So um, a friend of mine, I want to give her a shout out. Eleanor O. Rangers uh, sent me a link and I did not know this at all. So I got to give her a big shout out. But as many of you know, Space Mountain at Disney World opened in 1975 and it opened several months before Apollo Soyuz even flew. That's how old it is. They started designing it over 50 years ago, I believe in 1972. So it's got a little bit of salt on it. It's a it's an older ride. But uh, my friend sent me a link, and apparently NASA had software back then. They had computer software in the 70s that helped design Space Mountain. And I'm going to read something from the uh, NASA spinoffs. Thing. A roller coaster isn't ordinarily associated with space technology, except, of course, Space Mountain, the exciting roller coaster ride at Disney World. This roller coaster ride was designed by WED Enterprises, the research division of Walt Disney Productions, Glendale, California. The task was to design a support structure for the tracks, which would be totally safe, yet not overstrong. Overstrengthening adds nothing to safety, it simply wastes money and unneeded steel. So, WED engineers heard of a NASA-developed computer program which simplifies 
the jobs of analyzing structures and uses it to gain substantial savings and labor and materials. And they use this program to also uh, design Disneyland Space Mountain, which is another version of the coaster on the other side of the uh, United States. So uh, the computer program is called NASTRAN, which is an acronym for the NASA Structural Analysis Program. And I was not aware of this at all, but this is really cool. Uh, NASTRAN was also used to design a lot of other things. Uh, according to this NASA spinoff publication, it was uh, used to design the ultimate in uh, 1977 automobiles, the Cadillac Seville of that year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was also used to develop the very high-tech Cadillac Seville, which um, now seems kind of cheesy. But seriously, back then, that was like a really top-of-the-line automobile. They used it to design stuff that, you know, had nothing to do with NASA, but it was NASA software, which is really interesting. It also was used to design the space shuttle, which, of course, makes a lot of sense. So I just think it's really incredible how they had computer design models in the 1970s because I'm like, wow, you know that you wouldn't think it was computers were that advanced where they could do that kind of analysis, but they could. And when you're on the ride, you can kind of tell they designed it not to be, like, over strong because you can feel it flex a bit, if that makes sense. I mean, I know that frightens people, probably me saying that, but they probably designed it with a little amount of flexibility so it wouldn't, you know, be too stiff, if that makes sense. So anyway, so I thought that was really fascinating. I think Dave is going to uh, Disney in a few weeks. If you get on... Yeah, if you get on Space Mountain, you're very tall. Just don't raise your hands on the ride. But, okay. Yeah, do not raise your hands in there. The only thing that I don't, I've never liked about it is it's very close tolerances. Like you feel like you're gonna hit something in there. But other than that, it's still that ride still slaps fifty years later. <laughs> that was my uh, space learning this week. I'm probably gonna write a blog about this because I'm a I'm a complete dork. Keep our heads up for more Skylab and Space Mountain 1970s developments that nobody asked for. <laughs> so anyway, so what about you, Dave? What have you been looking at? I'm going to briefly mention a few things here. There's a wonderful photo which has been published from the Ingenuity helicopter on Mars during its 51st flight, which is just stunning. Absolutely stunning. And you can see the Perseverance rover on the surface and it's just such a beautiful image it's kind of like a blue sky it looks like a desert with loads of rocks on it i will post a link obviously in the show notes but if you haven't seen that photo it's amazing also and this ties in with your little trip falcon heavy launched and you saw it from disney world right okay um this is embarrassing my sister and my niece saw it, and they, at first they didn't know what they were looking at because they didn't know there was a rocket launch that night. So my sister texted me and is like, um, is this a nuclear bomb? Like, what's going on? <laughs> and I'm like, oh, that's SpaceX Falcon Heavy. You guys saw it. That's awesome. And what's cool is they saw it from Tomorrowland. So they were in the future, and they saw it happen, oh, which is man. kind of cool. And I'm embarrassed to admit this. I was riding Space Mountain again as Falcon Heavy was going up. So I was in space while that rocket was going up. <laughs> so I love that. That's amazing. Exactly. I was in a I was I was riding through the galaxy. Yeah, we my sister took a photo of it because at first she was like what are we looking at? And I was like, "Oh yeah, it's SpaceX putting up the Falcon Heavy and 
they they got a really awesome view of it. We weren't that far out, so yeah, we did see it go off, or they saw it. I, I yeah, I was in space at the time. <laughs> so cool. <laughs> well, it's it's been an interesting week for SpaceX, in my opinion, because they've had a fair amount of launches, but all of those launches seem to have. Well, a couple of them certainly had some last-minute aborts. Uh, obviously, they got off eventually and safe. And their safety mechanisms for what comes, goes on at both Vandenberg and the Kennedy Space Center just seem incredible. They really seem to to get that right in terms of not taking risks. I mean, it's been a long time since we've seen a failure of a Falcon 9. In fact, I think it was maybe 2015, 2016 was the last time. And bear in mind how frequently these things fly that's pretty crazy. But on the flip side, you've then got what's going on with Starship. And I know we talked about this last week, but it, it, it's building again. Elon Musk has reported what, what went wrong with that launch. Uh, he's They're still claiming that it obviously was a success, did more than they hoped it would. But they lost communication with some of the engines after 20 seconds. The self-destruct mo- mode didn't kick in until 40 seconds after they asked it to. So there's some pretty big problems. They're also being, the FAA, who are uh, investigating the launch, as they do with any time there's a a launch failure, that's not um, too too big a news. But the news is that environmental groups have sued the FAA over allowing that launch to take place, which is quite something. Uh, So I, I wonder whether that will achieve anything or anything will happen with that but the very fact that that's happening shows that perhaps i don't know perhaps they got it wrong in terms of the faa i'm talking about here in terms of allowing that to go ahead maybe they should have come bear in mind there's been this huge investigation about environmental impact at boca chica in particular and that was why the launch was delayed in the first place seems pretty crazy that then there was this much of an environmental impact um, and that they didn't catch it when some of it seems to be quite obvious that it was going to happen. I, yeah, I agree with you completely. Uh, yeah, I was at <laughs> I was at Disney and I I was catching the the reports on the some of the things that went wrong with Starship. And I my mouth we were eating lunch and my mouth just dropped to the ground. And my sister's like, "You okay?" And I'm like, "I mean the the forty second thing where they that's mental. Sent that's awful." That, that's not good. Yeah, that's really not good. Like usually, it a lot can be happen like, in forty seconds. Forty seconds is a very long time in space flight. It absolutely is. That's a very long time. It may not seem like it to most people, but that's a very long time if you're flying a space vehicle. So yeah, that's not good. It should have happened instantaneously, you know, or or pretty damn close to instantaneously, you know. And when I read that, I was like, oh god, that's not good. You know, I was like, oof, that that hurts, but. I'm very interested to see how this is going to unfold. Me too. Elon Musk has said has given some very, uh, I think, optimistic timelines for. Oh yeah, we're going to fly it again soon. And I don't know, given all the controversy with the FAA and everything else, who knows? I mean, I'm not, and I don't want Elon's fans to jump on us or anything. I'm not criticizing him whatsoever, but I think he's very optimistic at this point and. Well, we shall see. That's all I have to say. We we shall see how this will unfold. All I can say is when I was at the restaurant hearing this stuff or reading it on Twitter, I was like, oh, my God. Yeah. Like, oh, my God, this is crazy. You know, like yeah. the 42nd thing for me was just mental. Like that to me was like, what? Like, yeah, crazy. Oh, geez. So, yeah. 
So um, before before I, I pass it back to you, there are four headlines I'm just going to read out and I'm going to put the links in the show notes. I don't have time to talk about all these things, but I just think they're interesting stories, which if people want to know more, there are links to these stories in the show notes. So Russia has agreed to stay aboard the International Space Station through to 2028, which is an update. That's certainly an update because they were talking about potentially pulling out uh, after 2024. So... I think that's really good news. Um, Read more in the show notes. Uh, Voyager 2, the spacecraft, has extended its interstellar science mission for three more years, which is amazing. I still don't understand how it's working after that amount of time. Still going. Still going (laughs) strong. China's Zurong Mars rover has found signs of water activity on the red planet, which are quite recent as recent as 400,000 years ago which is a big difference to other things we've seen so that is is pretty a, a pretty interesting discovery from the chinese there and an update on the juice jupiter probe which we obviously spoke about a few weeks ago it's got a problem with one of its antennas but the engineers are say they've got lots of ideas up their sleeve on how to fix this issue but as i said all links to that in the show notes. Emily, I think you have one more thing you wanted to talk about, right? I have a couple of very brief things. Uh, first, Space Hipsters is having our May the 4th event on May 4th. That's today as this podcast comes out. So if you're listening yes. to this on the day it comes out, you can still be part of it. Uh, it's during the evening. If you're in the group, please consult the group to see what time it is. I believe everybody has already signed up for it who can sign up for it. But if you want to just watch the event, uh, I believe it will be live cast in the group. And it's not too late to sign up to be part of the prize giving, uh, which requires a donation to Taking Up Space. And the prizes are so worth it. So go and have a look. Check this out. Correct. We are still raising funds for uh, Taking Up Space as well. So I just wanted to give a quick uh, reminder about that. If you are in the group and are interested in participating or watching uh, also, I want to give a big shout out to my colleagues at Celestis this week. Uh, we suffered our first uh, launch um, anomaly, I guess, um, for the first time in 15 years. Uh, the Aurora flight, which is a suborbital flight, uh, it launched and then the rocket was lost about seconds after after the flight took off. So oh. it is very disappointing. Uh, we're Obviously, we are not very happy about it. Um, uh, unfortunately, these things do happen in space flight, but it, it is still very uh, saddening for us. But I want to give them a big shout out. And obviously, uh, I, I do believe we'll bounce back from this. Uh, we intend to fly the clients again, who are the customers again, who are on that flight. We do intend to refly them and uh, fulfill our part of the um, mission. But uh, I just want to give a big shout out to Celestis and a lot of love. Uh, space is, unfortunately, as we've been reminded many times in the last few weeks, space is not easy at all. So, and right. it, it really never will be. So, that's just another reminder that uh, space flight is always going to be very challenging. So, much love to my friends over there. And I guess uh, being this close to it, it must be very different for you, very different experience this time for you. Yeah, when I uh, read about it, um, I-, I was not in New Mexico for it, but when I read about it, <laughs> my my stomach just kind of went to like my throat because I was like oh god I'm not trying to minimize it but a lot about spaceflight is really out of everybody's hands I mean when you're on a launch vehicle I can't imagine what it must be like being an actual astronaut because 
you're really at the mercy of the launch vehicle at the beginning. And, and you know, there is an awareness that this isn't an easy thing. You know, it takes a lot and a lot can happen, you know, unfortunately. And um, it is a lot different when it's your company's, you know, when it's your company's mission, when you see that it is very like, oh, God, you know, and you do take it kind of personally. So we will bounce back from this. You know, it's not going to be fun necessarily, but we will bounce back from it and come back and do this again. You're listening to Space and Things. And that's all we have for this week. We'll be back next week with so much more, and the celebrations will start for us for the 50th anniversary of some small little space station launching into (laughs) orbit. If you're part of our Patreon page, you already know our very special plans for the next few weeks, and we look forward to getting your questions for those guests. We also just completed the second month of the Space and Things book prize draw. Now, we've not mentioned that yet on the podcast. I wanted to have two draws for the people that had been there for a while. Um, But anyone who signs up, you get entered into our, depending on what tier you're on, how many entries you get, uh, you enter into, into a monthly draw to win one of the books. Last month, Tony won Meredith Bagby's The New Guys. And this month, we're offering David Hitt's Homestead in Space, the story of Skylab as a prize. And Emily and I are going to be doing the draw as soon as we get off this call. Uh, as soon as we finish recording this week's episode. Um, So that will be announced in Patreon. So it's another reason for you to head over to Patreon and sign up. That's at patreon.com forward slash space and things. And the more people that sign up, the more prizes we'll be able to give away. So uh, why not go and sign up? But if you're unable to join that page, don't worry. There are still plenty of ways that you can support us. And the main one is to send our podcast to anyone you know who might be interested. We've covered so many topics and had so many wonderful guests. And I'm sure you'll be able to find something in our back catalog which you can share with a friend. So please consider doing that. But don't forget, in space, no one can hear you mean. This has been the Space and Thanks podcast with Emily Carney and Dave Giles. <laughs>